Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Alan. It's great to see you all here today, and welcome to everyone streaming at home. So, when I was a young boy growing up in the 1960s, there were a number of annual television events that I looked forward to seeing every year and didn't want to miss. Now, in the days before streaming services and home media, if you wanted to see something, you had to be sitting in front of your television set on the exact day and time when it was being shown. Crazy, right? So holiday specials like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Kids had just one chance to see those. Same was true for The Wizard of Oz. And this was a, a big deal at my house, so much so that my mom would force me to take an afternoon nap long after my napping days had ended, just so I would be allowed to stay up past my bedtime. And trust me, I was going to be up way past my bedtime, unable to sleep thanks to the Wicked Witch of the West and those flying monkeys. <laughs> Terrifying. But the movie I looked forward to seeing the most was a biblical epic nearly five hours long. Now, this movie has been shown every single Easter Sunday weekend for the past 54 years. Many of you have seen it. It's Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, starring a young and handsome Gentile by the name of Charlton Heston in the role of Moses. Well, I loved this movie. There were so many great scenes. God appearing in the burning bush. Moses returning to Egypt to bugged the pharaoh until he got his people freed. He actually used real bugs. Darcy? Well, he did, there it is, he did use real bugs. But as a kid, if you were just lucky enough to be able to stay up past 11 o'clock, you would be rewarded with the scene of Moses parting the Red Sea, and then finally the finger of God carving the Ten Commandments into stone. But you know, it wasn't until I was a teenager that I began to realize the story of Moses from this movie that I loved so much was quite different than the one that's found in Scripture. A lot of things had been added, but even more things had been left out. You see, the story of Moses in its entirety is so much more than a Hollywood spectacle. It's really a story of God's spectacle, how he took this reluctant, slow-of-speech shepherd and used him to lead his chosen people, Israel, out of bondage, and then continued to use him to lead that same stiff-necked and rebellious people for 40 long years in the wilderness. Well, today as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 31, we see Moses is an old man near death, and the people of Israel on the verge of crossing over the Jordan into the land that God had promised. It really is a wonderful chapter of scripture, one that gives us some insight into biblical leadership and how it should be passed on. It's a chapter that continues to drive home the importance of serving the one true God, Yahweh, with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. There's a well-known verse of scripture found here. Some of you may even have it as a life verse. One of the elders said to me, you could preach an entire sermon on just that one verse. And then finally, Deuteronomy 31 is a chapter that ends with a pretty decent cliffhanger. So join me in prayer as we ask God's blessing on our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of the blessings we share in Christ for the encouragement that comes through your word and through our fellowship together. We look forward to the hour of your return when suffering and sorrow will finally be released.
Everything we need is found in you. Amen. Well, as chapter 31 begins, Moses gives three short charges or addresses, words of encouragement and instruction. First, he gives it to the entire nation of Israel. And then he gives it to Joshua. And then finally, to the priests, to the Levites. So starting in verse 1. Then Moses continued to speak these words to all of Israel, saying, I am now 120 years old. I can no longer act as your leader. The Lord has told me, you, Moses, will not cross the Jordan. So commentators will divide those 120 years into three 40-year portions. So Moses spent 40 years in, in, um, 40 years in Egypt, basically in Pharaoh's court. And then the next 40 years, he was in the land of Midian as a shepherd. And then the final 40 years, he was with the Israelites, leading them as a prophet through the, through the wilderness. But even at 120 years old, Moses appeared to be physically capable to lead them. We read in Deuteronomy 34, when Moses died, his eyes were not weak and his virility had not left him. Well, instead, it was God who decided it was time for Moses to step down from leadership. But not only that, Moses would not be allowed to enter the promised land with the rest of Israel. Now, certainly this would have been a hard thing for Moses to hear, yet it all stemmed back from an incident that happened in Numbers 20. This is what happened. The Israelites were grumbling to Moses once again about how terrible things were out here in the wilderness and how wonderful things had been back in Egypt, where, by the way, they were slaves under bondage. Well, they were out of water. So God calls Moses and Aaron and tells them to gather all of the people and speak to this stone. And when you speak to the stone, I will miraculously cause water to appear. But Moses is fed up with these complainers and he decides to do things his own way. In verse 10, Moses says, listen, you rebels, must we bring out water from this rock for you? Well, there's the first problem. Moses is implying that he's going to be the one doing it not God. The second problem is Moses actually disobeys God because instead of speaking to the rock, he takes his staff and smacks the rock, not one time, but two. Well, water does flow out, but God has this to say to Aaron and Moses. Because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. As awesome of a leader as Moses was, because of this angry, disobedient act, he ultimately disqualified himself from entering the promised land. And if this seems a bit harsh, listen to the words from Luke chapter 12, verse 48, where we see that spiritual leaders are held to a higher standard. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Or to quote the Marvel Universe translation, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, Moses continues addressing Israel in verse 3. The Lord your God is the one who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you will drive them out. Joshua is to be the one who will cross ahead of you, as the Lord has said. The Lord will deal with them as he did Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, in their lands when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them over to you, and you must do to them 
exactly as I have commanded you. By the way, they didn't do that. And now here comes the verse that many of you may be familiar with. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or afraid of them. For the Lord your God is the one who will go with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Sometimes this gets translated, he will never leave you or forsake you. So Moses addresses all of Israel and offers these words of encouragement and hope. Although he won't be leading them into the land, Joshua will be. But ultimately, it's the Lord who goes before them. Moses reminds them of the victories that they've already had on this side of the Jordan against the Amorite kings. Joshua was part of that victory. Moses assures them that God will continue to go with them, destroying their enemies and driving them from the land. And as he passes the baton of leadership over to Joshua, Moses makes it crystal clear that this is what God has ordained. I love it that Moses isn't afraid to expose his own shortcomings. I have sinned. I won't be going with you. But be strong. Be courageous. God is with you. Well, God no longer appears to us as a pillar of cloud like he did to the Israelites. As believers in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. But I'm often amazed by the subtle ways that God shows us he's there, making his presence known. Maybe you step outside and get greeted by a stunning sunset, more beautiful than you've ever seen before. Or perhaps it's an unexpected act of kindness, an encouraging word from someone you would least expect. Maybe it's a familiar verse of scripture that all at once speaks to you in a brand new way. God can use so many things to remind us of his presence, but sometimes God will take it to a whole nother level. This happened to me about four years ago. I was going through a rough patch, feeling depressed, discouraged, far from the Lord. Well, as I walked out to my car that morning, I heard a noise from behind me. It sounded like a loud, wet slap. It actually made me jump. Some of you jumped. I turned around. There was nothing there until I looked down on the pavement. And on the pavement, I saw a fish about, th about this big. <laughs> and it had fallen from the sky. To me, it seemed like a miracle. I was dumbfounded. But then I started to laugh with happy tears because in the midst of my troubled soul, God had shown me he was there. And when I looked up in the sky and saw the osprey that had dropped that fish, <laughs> it really didn't matter. For me, it had been a miracle enough. God is with us. Well, as we continue, Moses turns his attention to Joshua. Moses then summoned Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all Israel, be strong, be courageous, for you will go with the people into the land that God has sworn to give them to their ancestors. You will enable them to take possession of it. The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Nearly the same encouragement that he gives to all of Israel. And truth bears repeating, right? I think it's important that Moses presented Joshua in this way, in the sight of all of Israel, so there would be no question about this change in leadership. He endorses Joshua publicly 
And if Moses did feel some deep disappointment about not being the one to lead them into the promised land, he never lets the people see that. Moses is trusting in the Lord, not himself. And that's something that everyone in Christian leadership needs to model. But it's also important that Moses offers Joshua words of encouragement, and I'm guessing he needed it. After all, Jesus, excuse me, after all, Joshua had seen all of the shenanigans that these Israelites had been up to for 40 years. In spite of all the blessings, all of God's provisions, all of his kindnesses, all of his grace, all of the miracles, they were still ready to attack leadership at the drop of a hat. The prospect of leading them probably seemed like a pretty thankless job. But, Joshua, be strong. Be courageous. God will go with you. He will keep his promises. He will be there. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And we know that one day a Messiah will come and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, verse six speaks to me in particular because as far back as I can remember, I have struggled with anxiety. And I found this picture recently. That's me on my sixth birthday. I was a big Batman fan. I don't know if you can see the Batman t-shirt, homemade Batman cake. It's kind of hard to see the expression on my face. My dad was kind of a blurry photographer. Um, but if you could see it, my face is filled with anxiety. Because as I'm sitting there trying to hold this 20-pound cake on my lap, I am convinced that at any moment that cake is going to slide to the ground and be ruined. And I remember that moment of anxiety like it was yesterday. So for me, these verses are a huge comfort, and I'm sure to many of you as well, especially if fear and doubt and worry are some of the things you struggle with. And we all struggle with something, right? Hurts that cut deep, habits we want to break, hang-ups we can't seem to escape. If you've heard me speak before, you know that through the Lord's help in a program here at GBC called Celebrate Recovery, I have had a good bit of victory over my anxiety. And I don't say that as a commercial, but rather an endorsement to a program that God has used to change me in ways that I did not think was possible. Others who attend will tell you the same thing. So if there's a, a hurt, a habit, a hang-up that you would like to work on in a confidential setting, every Monday night at 6.30, we're right here in this room. I hope some of you will drop by and see what it's all about. But before we move on, let's take one moment to acknowledge the power in these five simple words. I will be with you. Jesus says, whatever it is you are going through, sickness, a health crisis, cancer, I will be with you. Loss of a job, financial uncertainty, bankruptcy, I will be with you. A broken marriage, separation, divorce, I will be with you. The death of a dearly loved one, I will be with you. And what if, as you go through the most stressful, heartbreaking, fearful, or soul-crushing thing you will ever face, you find yourself on your knees like you never have been before, 
only to find a treasure in the Lord beyond your wildest imaginings. That's what Jesus can do. That's what I've seen Jesus do. Well, next Moses addresses the priests, starting in verse 9. Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the Lord's covenant and to all the elders of Israel. Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years, at the appointed time, in the year of debt cancellation, during the festival of shelters, when all Israel assembles in the presence of the Lord your God at a place that he cho- chooses, you are to read this law aloud before all of Israel. Gather the people, men, women, dependents, children, and all the resident aliens within your gates so they may listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to follow all the words of this law. Then the children who do not know the law will listen and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Well, here Moses instructs the priests that every seven years during the year of release, which is a time when debt would be canceled, when slaves would be set free, the people of Israel are to gather and hear the reading of God's law. And that's not to say the priests were neglecting the teaching of the law at other times, but this was to be a special ceremony for all of Israel so that they would be reminded and remember all that God had done for them and of the covenant they had made with God. God clearly wanted everyone to hear these words. Men, women, children, even foreigners living in the land, all were given equal access to the reading of God's word. God wants us to do more than simply hear the words. He wants us to actually listen to them because there is a big difference between hearing and actually listening, right? You can ask my wife about that because she often witnesses it. But God also wants them to learn from the reading, specifically to learn to fear the Lord, not in the sense of being terrified, but instead having a deep respect, a reverence, being in awe of God, his majesty, his power, And then finally, God desires that they will be careful to follow all the words of this law and not break the covenant that they had made with him, a covenant that was based on obedience. But sadly, we know that this every seven-year reading of the scripture, of the law, it wouldn't last. Soon enough, it would be neglected and forgotten. After the death of Joshua, things would start to go downhill quickly. And by the time we get to the book of Judges, chapter 21, we read, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Or another way to put it, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Not much has changed in 2023. And if you were part of the Judges study two years ago, you'll probably remember some of the disturbing and horrific stories that are found there. The fact is, In the rest of the entire Old Testament, there are just a few accounts of the book of the law ever being read in this way. One is in Nehemiah, after Israel's 70-year captivity in Babylon. A copy of the law is found as the temple is being restored. Ezra reads it aloud to all the people, just as Moses had commanded here. And it says the people covered their heads and began to weep as they realized how deeply they had failed the Lord. And that it was their unbelief, their turning away from him, that ultimately caused them to be delivered into exile. It says 
The people stood there from morning until evening as the law was read and explained to them. There's a similar story in 2 Kings when King Josiah, who was one of the righteous kings of Israel, is also given a copy of the law found during repair work on the temple. And if you missed Ethan Harris's sermon last summer on King Josiah, definitely go to the YouTube page and find it. It's a blessing. Well, in this case, Josiah, in the case of Josiah, rather, it had been 60 years since the law had been read. Even the king himself had never seen a word of it. And in his grief, Josiah tore his clothing, realizing that as leader of the nation, he had not been keeping God's commandments. After this, he would become a king who would bring about much positive reform to Israel. Well, hearing these stories is it's heartbreaking, right? The book of the law given by God to Moses, lost and ignored. And today we are so blessed to have God's word, the entirety of God's word, right at our fingertips. There's so many resources and commentaries online. One that I've found helpful is called growingchristians.org. It's a huge resource with teachings of the entire Bible from Dr. Dave Reed, who attended here for many years before the Lord took him home. Here at GBC, we have weekly Bible studies. We have small groups. It's easy to get plugged in. Study the scriptures, memorize them, share them with others. For me, one of my favorite things when I get to help with Awana is listening to the kids recite the verses that they've memorized. It's so encouraging. And we should be thankful for what we have. Don't neglect the reading and studying of God's word. As the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. As we continue, the Lord is about to commission Joshua as the leader of Israel. The Lord said to Moses, the time of your death is now approaching. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting so I may commission him. When Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting, the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the cloud stood at the entrance to the tent. But hang on, before God commissions Joshua, he has a few more things he wants to say to Moses. And as we read this, I want you to try to put yourself in Moses' place. After all the time he has invested in these people, all of the sleepless nights, all of the prayers he's uttered in solitude, all of the complaining that he's had to endure, here's what God tells him. The Lord said to Moses, you are about to rest with your ancestors, and these people will soon prostitute themselves with the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will abandon me, and break the covenant I have made with them. My anger will burn against them on that day. I will abandon, forsake them, and hide my face from them, so that they will become easy prey. Many troubles and afflictions will come to them. On that day they will say, haven't these troubles come to us because our God is no longer with us? Actually, it's because you broke the covenant. I will certainly hide my face on that day because of all the evil they have done by turning to other gods. Therefore, write down this song for yourself and teach it to the Israelites. Have them sing it so that this song will be a witness for me against the Israelites. 
When I bring them to the land I swore to give to their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey, they will eat and fill, eat their fill and prosper. They will turn to other gods and worship them, despising me and breaking my covenant. And when many troubles and afflictions come to them, this song will testify against them because their descendants will not have forgotten it. For I know what they are prone to do even before I bring them into the land I swore to them. So Moses wrote down this song on that day and taught it to the Israelites. This is a pretty depressing pronouncement and prophecy. One that looks ahead to their 70 years of Babylonian captivity and exile. And honestly, you have to wonder, did any of this come as a surprise to Moses? It's easy for us to point a finger and say, you Israelites, when will you ever learn? But truly, we are so much like them. Maybe our idols aren't made of wood and stone, but we have them nonetheless. All of the things that compete with our affections for the Lord, we're often as stiff-necked as they were. But even sadder than Israel turning away from their God is what he must do in response to it. Just a handful of verses back, God says, I will not leave you or forsake you. But now he says, I will abandon you. I will hide my face from you. Pastor Gary touched on this a couple of weeks ago when he explained that Israel's covenant with the Lord was a conditional one based on their behavior. When they turned away and worshiped other gods, that covenant was broken. But thank God we are no longer under the law. All of that changed when Jesus died on the cross with a new covenant, a covenant of grace. And when the author of Hebrews quotes Deuteronomy 31, repeating God's promise, I will never leave you or forsake you, as followers of Jesus today, under grace, we can 100% rely on that promise. Nothing will change. And then the Lord commissioned Joshua, son of Nun. Be strong and courageous. Again, strong and courageous. For you will bring the Israelites into the land I swore to them. And I will be there with you. I will be there with you. Well, Moses addresses the people one final time, basically repeating the pronouncement God had just given to him. We're not going to take time to read all of those verses, but let's let me read one that kind of gives you the tone of what Moses had to say to them. For I know after my death, you are surely to become utterly corrupt in turn from the way I have commanded you. You know, it's said that prophets rarely sugarcoat things, and that's certainly the case here with Moses. But he's not quite finished yet. There's still the matter of the song that God instructed him to write. So in the final verse, it says, Then Moses recited aloud every single word of this song to the entire assembly of Israel. Dot, dot, dot. So here's our cliffhanger. If you want to find out what the Song of Moses is all about, you're either going to have to skip ahead to chapter 32 or come back next week and hear Gary's sermon. I hope you'll come back next week and hear Gary's sermon. But I have it on good authority, Gary will not actually be singing. <laughs> well, in a few moments, we're going to transition to the communion service, remembering Christ's body broken on the cross for our sins, the blood he shed to set us free. So let me leave you with one final thought on God's promise to never 
forsake us. God is with us, all believers, because he wasn't with Jesus as he hung on a cross for our sins. We will never be alone because Jesus was alone as he died in our place, crying out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who can imagine the loneliness Jesus must have felt in those moments? His friends and followers had fled. His disciples had scattered, one who betrayed him, one who denied him three times. The very people that he came to save, cursing at him, spitting, hurling insults. In the single being in the entire universe that we would think would be there with him, his heavenly father could not be. Because as Jesus died, all of our sins, yours and mine, were placed on him. And he became the final and complete sacrifice once and for all. And in that moment, he was banished from the presence of his father. Because sin cannot exist in God's presence. Jesus endured that separation. Separation that you and I deserve. And yet... On the third day, Jesus rose again, conquering sin and death so that all who trust in him will one day be made new and spend eternity with him and all the saints in a kingdom that is yet to come. Have you trusted in Jesus? If not, and God has spoken to you today, please talk to someone after the service. Myself, Pastor Gary, one of the elders, we would love to speak to you and share the joy that Jesus can bring. Well, in closing, unlike Deuteronomy chapter 31, the word of God, the Bible, does not end with a cliffhanger. Far from it. Because as we look at the final chapter of the final book of the Bible, Revelation 21, we are offered a beautiful picture of what awaits all believers. A new heaven and a new earth with everything restored and set right. A place where not a single candle needs to burn because the Lamb of God, Jesus, will be our light. These final verses of Scripture read, He who testifies about these things, Jesus, says, Yes, I am coming soon. And our response with the Apostle John, everyone say it with me together, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Thanks for letting me share today.